You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. I love poetry. I don't know if anyone here also happens to love poetry. It's, yeah. um, yeah! Yeah, Jay, yeah! Um, Oftentimes, poets are helpful guides that point out God in the daily act of being. And tonight, I want to offer a poem by Mary Oliver as a framework for what I want to share with you tonight. Mary Oliver is somebody that I look to often for guidance. She spent a lot of her, she lives currently in Florida, she spent a lot of her life in New England and um, learning from the created world and speaking to it. Um, so that's kind of a little background from her. The themes will be working with our water, death, and God. I hope we'll be able to dive into these subjects, find some connection points, and be able to continue a greater conversation this evening and beyond. To start, the first of seven sections of Mary Oliver's poem at the River Clarion. One, I don't know who God is exactly, but I'll tell you this. I was sitting in the river named Clarion on a water splash stone, and all afternoon I listened to the voices of the river talking. Whenever the water struck a stone, it had something to say, and the water itself, and even the mosses trailing under the water. And slowly, very slowly, it became clear to me what they were saying. Said the river, I am part of holiness. And I too said the stone. And I too whispered the moss beneath the water. I'd been to the river before a few times. Don't blame the river that nothing happened quickly. You don't hear such voices in an hour or a day. You don't hear them at all if selfhood has stuffed your ears and it's difficult to hear anything anyway through all the traffic, the ambition. Last week, I spent time at a lake in the Frontenac County Lake region of Ontario, which was quite joyous. This place is a gorgeous display of the Canadian landscape. We had the privilege of staying on an island pretty far away from most people and constructed things, so it was a lot of time spent um, in a vast connected lake lake system with wild loons and frogs, bass, oak, to name a few. I swam a lot. Here's a reflection of that experience. In the lake, I am held. My fears are calmed, my breath and heart slow. When the rain begins lightly on my upturned face, It feels sweet and familiar. In this water, in this moment, I feel at home. I often feel this way when I've remembered myself to the water, reminding myself of my relationship with it, remembering that it is much more of me than air or earth, that I am mostly made of a child of the water. When I initially enter a a body of water, I always feel fear. 
of the unknown, of the power. When you jump into a lake, I always think like maybe there's some monster that's gonna come and like grab my legs. Or when I jump into the ocean for the first time, I feel that shake of power as the tide kind of draws me in and out, kind of tosses my body around. And then as I swim around and acclimate and remember that the water is my friend, then it becomes this power that I am joined in and with. I, I remind myself of this familial connection that I have with it. I think life often feels like this as well. When I forget that I am of life, rather than having a choice or not to participate in life. When I think of God in these places of natural beauty, my surroundings pulse with God's sense. I am one point on an electric net, a web of life spreading across the planet, aware that the of, the God in me, is also in everything else, like water, like light, life. Two, if God exists, he isn't just butter and good luck. He's also the tick that killed my wonderful dog, Luke. Said the river, imagine everything you can imagine, then keep on going. Imagine how the lily, who may also be a part of God, would sing to you if it could sing, if you would pause to hear it. And how are you so certain anyway that it doesn't sing? If God exists, he isn't just churches and mathematics. She's the forest, she's the desert, she's the ice caps that are dying. He's the ghetto and the Museum of Fine Arts. He's Van Gogh and Allen Ginsberg and Robert Motherwell. She's the many desperate hands clinging and preparing their, cleaning and preparing their weapons. She's every one of us, potentially. The leaf of grass, the genius, the politician, the poet. And if this is true, isn't it something very important? Yes, it could be that I am a tiny piece of God, and each of you are too, or at least of his intention and her hope, which is, is a delight beyond measure. I don't know how you get to suspect such an idea. I only know that the river kept singing. It wasn't a persuasion. It was all the river's own constant joy, which was better by far than a lecture, which was comfortable, exciting, unforgettable. I took liberties to change the he's of God to he and she to not adhere to a certain gender construct of God. Just wanted to put that out there. This year, I've watched a lot of my friends and family endure loss. We've witnessed the passing of mothers, fathers, grandmothers and grandfathers, friends and other beloved companions. This may seem like a small thing, and I don't consider it to be the same as losing a human life, for those are often longer and more complex, but I personally lost my canine companion, Nash. We had walked alongside each other for 15 and a half years since he was a fuzzy little pup, and I a gangly, awkward 13-year-old. Losing him was sad and difficult. There was a void that could be felt in my home and in our lives. 
but we shared a lot of time after that point around the fire with friends that were close and knew him for a long time. And I was surprised and honored to hear about the ways that even this dog had shaped the lives of these people in my lives, in my life that I value so much. There were a lot of stories of um, Nash being a peaceful guiding presence in times of tumultuous mayhem from transition from high school to college and into marriage and through different relationships. Right? Nash was always kind of this presence that was constant. <laughs> Kind of, I was surprised by the impact that he not only had on me, but a lot of the people that knew him. In the time after his passing, I recognized something I'd seen in the process of my friends' losses, too. In the time of honoring their loved ones passing, even if their relationships hadn't always been harmonious, there was space shared to speak, remember, laugh, and cry. It is clear that while death feels like an ending, because of the passing of a physical body. There are many ways in which we are connected that are not limited to physical embodiment. Remembering is a way of reliving and continuing the loss, the love of the lost ones, reforming new energy, seeing their presence in the weave of our lives. Love, respect, appreciation for the passing of a life manifests in these times of change. Death, times of change, even birth, are an opportunity to perceive this pulse of life in a different way, to see when it not only stretches before and behind us, but below and above us, this electrical web of life that is God throughout all. Things that pass on are left here in the form of reliving memory and the love and practice and pattern of those who stay on in this form. A being's life is relived in the course of those they have touched. It ripples, rolls, and rapids around. Echoes of laughter, song, and spirit through places and homes, communities, cooking, playing, and storytelling. This process is part of the cycle. Loss engages the natural process of receiving and giving back. What we receive from those we love who have moved on, we give back in the ways that we choose to live our lives, consciously and unconsciously. In the same way, I think many of us, our society as a whole even, has subconsciously mourned and come to terms with our relationship with creation and come to see it as mostly dead, if not fully dead. Especially as city dwellers, we come to terms with the concrete, the garbage, the air quality, and perhaps have let our connection with the natural world dwindle to that of a memory, a dead relationship. I think many of us may strive to get some of the connection that we've heard of or that we had as children, but feel weak and burdened by the onslaught that we face to turn the tides and end up turning our eyes and minds to other pursuits. Thinking of these threads of connection in the form of a great river or multitudes of rivers is helpful for me. The water that is in my blood is the same water in the Delaware River, is the same water in the sky, in the tree outside my house, and the folks in my neighborhood with and without roofs to sleep under. And if I continue that thought forward to imagine everything I can imagine, then keep on going, I consider the water to be God, then how would it change the way that I treat my environment and think about death and renewal? 
I think this leap is a fairly easy one for us as Christians to make because of how frequently water is used in the Bible. How has our relationship to Christ and our relationship to water become so separated when Jesus is literally proclaiming that he has the water of life? Three, of course, for each of us, there is the daily life. Let us live it gesture gesture by gesture. When we cut the ripe melon, should we not give it thanks? And should we not thank the knife also? We do not live in a simple world. Four, there was someone I loved who grew old and ill. One by one, I watched the fires go out. There was nothing I could do except to remember that we receive, then we give back. Water is used throughout the Bible as a platform for reconciliation, healing, and restoration. A little tidbit of research I found interesting is that in the NIV translations of the Bible, the word water is used 480 times, and the word love is used 574 times. They're not that different. In Genesis, God hovers over the waters before anything else has been created. The significance of of this relationship being pointed out in the first pages of our religious texts. A few months ago, while sharing during a Sunday meeting, our guest, Dominic Gilliard, brilliantly compared the Exodus story to our American history of slavery and domination, pointing to the river as a place for reconciliation. Miriam, baby Moses, and Pharaoh's daughter were united in radical disobedience to the orders of Pharaoh, choosing to see each other's humanity and pulled to care for one another over social constructions of class, race, enslavement. In Psalms, the writer describes yearning for God like a deer pants for water, praises the creator using descriptions of fields and trees, producing fruit because of the abundance of water that is provided. In the Gospels, Jesus uses water in many contexts to heal and to teach. In John, he offers those who are thirsty sustenance and relief through living water. The beginning of Mark lays out how connected our religious history is with the land. Mark 1, 1 through 20. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by... John in the Jordan, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son who I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out in the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. 
During the recent Carnival de Resistance residency, Tevin and Jay, along with their crew, shared their show Wade in Deep Water, which illustrates many of these biblical moments. With the assistance of poetry from Wendell Berry and Alicia Suskin Ostriker, the prophets John the Baptizer and Miriam weave a beautiful tapestry of deep roots of water in the biblical narrative like the one I just read and connect it to the need for us to submerge ourselves in a dirty baptism because there is no clean water from pollution and the degradation of the earth. We are called to mourn the pain of the earth, recognize our own participation and need for repentance, and collectively remember our deeper connection to all in order to save ourselves and our home. This quote from the book Watershed Discipleship, a text that Oh, that's a picture of my A text that fueled a lot of the content I'm offering to you tonight. It's from Katerina Friesman in a chapter called Friesen in a chapter called The Great Commission. Traditionally, Christians have understood reconciliation to God and Christ to concern primarily the human sphere. Yet God's reconciliation extends to all of creation, not just humans. For in Christ, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile to God's self all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of, Christ, of his cross. This biblical vision necessarily entails facing our own need for reconciliation with and in our ecological home places, understood in this volume as the watershed to which we belong and where our discipleship is grounded. Becoming reconciled to our watershed requires learning to know and love it deeply. Before a missionary goes, in other words, she should know how to stay. This is the place where I see these two things joining together, death and water. Witnessing the natural mourning process of my friends through community and this desperate and deep need for us to reconcile with our waters. If we are able to recognize the threads of connections that we have with each other in our families and our relationships and our rituals of mourning, and learn to apply them to our relationship with water and the land, I think that we can start to make steps forward. Five. My dog, Luke, lies in a grave in the forest. She is given back. But the river Clarion still flows from wherever it comes from and to wherever it has been told to go. I pray for the desperate earth. I pray for the desperate worlds. I do the little each person can do. It isn't much. Sometimes the river murmurs. Sometimes it raves. Six. Along its shores were, may I say, very intense cardinal flowers and trees and birds that have wings to uphold them for heaven's sakes. The lucky ones. They have such deep natures. They are so happily obedient. While I sit here in a house filled with books, ideas, doubts, and hesitations, When Greg's grandfather died in April, we talked a lot about the life he had led, mostly one of aloof engagement, getting the names of his various grandchildren mixed up and primarily interested in talking about his latest intellectual endeavor. He was a fairly stoic man, not one for affection, trading the closeness of family for the closeness of scientific intellectual achievement. He did have a particular fondness for puns the small humor that would crack a rare smile on his face. And as Greg and I reflected with his family, we realized 
that we see that same witty, punny humor in Greg and his brother Jack displayed here in all their childish glory. That thread of Grandpa Fonda is alive and well in his grandsons and will continue to live and shift as it is blended and moves in the lives of Greg and Jack. In the same way, I see the threads of connection to creation. Our connection is in our blood. When we take time away to go to the mountains, the rivers, the fields, I think we can hear it more easily. The birds are practically singing, screaming the God song into our ears. Our challenge is to find that sacredness here in the city too, for there is God's song here. There is water under the concrete beneath our feet, in the clouds above our heads, pulsing through the heart of you and your neighbor. As we tumble and roll through this river of life, let us not become too trapped in the fear of loss, blinded by the ache of our per own personal and collective pain to forget to look at our journey up and down, forward and backward. Let us take these moments of loss and change and joy and celebration as markers to remind us to see the river that we are all in, to be called into the waters. Let us continue to try to deepen our relationship with the land, to relearn our vital connection, to see God in our place. Seven. And still, press deep into my mind, the river keeps coming touching me, passing by on its long journey, its pale, infallible voice singing. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.